0: The title of the message this morning is My Very Heart, and we're going to look at the entire letter to Philemon. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for gathering us here this morning. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for, Lord, your love. Thank you for the reconciling work of your son, Jesus. Thank you for this living, breathing relationship that we have with you because of his broken body and shed blood. Thank you for what this means for us now and forever. God, we pray that these truths would just continue to rock us, would continue to shape us as a people, humble us, and influence our, every relationship in our life, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you have been terribly wronged by someone. Maybe they said things that cut deep. Maybe they did things that you'll never understand. And you have done wrong to someone. You've said things that you shouldn't have said. You've done things to others that really they might not ever understand. But what if our perceived right to unforgiveness is really a prison cell? This morning we're going to explore a relationship breakdown. It's so intense that it could have led to imprisonment, even death. So how does the reconciliation that Jesus provides, how does that reconciliation speak to the broken relationships of our own lives? So the letter written to Philemon is a gracious appeal. That's what it is. It is a gracious appeal to a man named Philemon to receive a former runaway slave back as a true brother and to forgive whatever debt Was previously held against him. You know, Philemon's faith and love, it would be put to the test. And here's why the letter was hand delivered by the slave who had run away, Onesimus. So here's Onesimus standing in front of Philemon and the community that gathered in Colossae. Philemon was part of the Colossian church. And he's standing in front of Philemon with Tychicus. They've delivered the letter of Colossians, and they have this letter to Philemon personally. But Onesimus had had stolen from Philemon and run away, and now he's back. And everybody is like looking down at their feet, wondering what's going to happen next. Who in their right mind would return to the one they had stolen and run away from? And what did Paul actually expect Philemon to do about it? What does the gospel have to do with situations like this? Let's read it. Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear brother and fellow worker. Also to Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. And to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, "...have refreshed refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is uh, as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains." Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would, be, would not seem forced, but would be voluntary." Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Three things uh, I pray we see here in this letter. First, the impact of the gospel on Philemon's life. Second, the appeal of the gospel for Onesimus' life. And third, the power of the gospel in your life. So first, the impact of the gospel on Philemon's life. The letter is addressed to Philemon and Apphia and Archippus and to the church that meets in your home. Philemon's home was a meeting place, a place for the church to meet. So the church of Colossae uh, most likely met in several different homes, uh, and, and this would have been very common, not having a large enough space for the church to gather. He's writing to, to them, though. He's addressing them personally, and he says in verse 3, uh, grace, which means unmerited favor and kindness, and peace, or this wholeness, this rest, this having been set right before God. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A very common greeting, a very common way to open the letters that Paul would write. But we can just kind of skip by that very quickly and forget what, it, what he's saying. And not really think about what he's saying. Grace and peace. Unmerited favor. The favor and grace, or the, the kindness and favor that you don't deserve has been shown to you in Christ. And grace, oh my. This grace, this peace, this wholeness, having been set right, this rest that we have in Jesus... That's how he starts out. And Paul can't help but let Philemon know how much he thanks God for him as he remembers him in his prayers. Why? Because, he says, basically, he's saying, listen, I see how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, has actually gripped your heart, Philemon. I see how it's, how it's made you a man of love and generosity. I see how the gospel has actually become the defining truth of your life. It's become that controlling factor of your life. It's essentially what he's saying. Now, what do I mean when I say gospel? We're talking about the impact of the gospel on Philemon's life. And we can say gospel, we can sing gospel. It's important we define gospel. Gospel is just another way of saying good news. But the good news of what? I mean, back in Uh, New Testament day, uh, there would have been maybe, uh, you know, people running uh, throughout the land announcing various gospels or proclamations or the good news of victory on the battlefield or the good news of the birthday of an emperor. But here, what does the, uh, the scriptures do? The scriptures takes this and talks about the good news. The good news of Jesus the Christ, of Jesus the anointed one, the king, The promised one who would come and deliver his people and set us free. This is the good news of Jesus. This is the good news of God's reign through his son, Jesus. And so when we say gospel, it's like basically summing up this beautiful story that we see in the Bible in capsule form in one word. The gospel, the good news, the proclamation of Jesus. The gospel had completely transformed Philemon's life. And Paul was writing about it. He had seen it. He said, I hear about it. As he encouraged Philemon in the beginning of this letter, I imagine Philemon must have smiled. He must have been encouraged. But I also imagine Philemon maybe start to tear up a little bit because he's thinking about what he, had, what he was before Jesus. And now the transforming effect that the gospel had on his life. With tears filling Philemon's eyes, he continues to hear the letter read out loud. Then we see in verse 6 this intentional prayer. He talks about Philemon, uh, the English Standard Version says, I pray, this is my prayer for you Philemon, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective he wants Philemon's sharing of his faith to be effective what's he saying what's this about this partnership this sharing of his faith this is in the greek it's koinonia which is this participation this partnership this spiritual fellowship that Philemon had in Christ with God's people and he, he wanted that uh, to be continue to be walked out faithfully well, what's he saying and why is he saying this so that you will have full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Now, this is a big deal. Here's the thing. We stunt our growth. We stunt our understanding when we don't walk out what we say we believe. Hear me. Philemon had this, this koinonia, this beautiful fellowship with God's people, and he was faithfully walking it out. And Paul wanted him to continue to faithfully walk out this fellowship, this brotherhood. It was good. If we don't, you know, we say we, believe, we, we say we have this brotherhood. We say we've entered a new family. We say we've been transformed by the grace of God. Or we say we're walking arm in arm with others. We've got, we've got to actually live that out in some kind of context. And we're striving to do that here. But we stunt our own growth when we don't walk out what we say we believe. We grow in our experience of these truths, of this fellowship as we live in community, as we live on mission for the sake of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. You see what's happening. He wanted Philemon to continue in that for his own understanding, for his own growth. We're fooling ourselves if we think our faith is just a private matter, that we can just take our faith in Jesus and go somewhere and live in isolation. He has called us to be in this fellowship, this community, to have this participation. Faith in Jesus, it it finds expression in the relationships of our lives. Philemon's love and faith, it gave Paul great joy and encouragement because, Paul goes on to write, Philemon refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. That's what Philemon was known for. He hosted the church, he refreshed the hearts of God's people, He appreciated this koinonia, this this participation, this fellowship, this community. Paul was encouraging him to continue to walk in it and to show his faith by walking in it. But it says that he refreshed the hearts of the saints or of the Lord's people. I want that to be said of me. I I want my life and my relationships with you and with others in the faith to be like a a glass of, of, of just cold lemonade on a hot summer day. Just refresh. I mean, how refreshing is that, right? When my sons bring me a glass of lemonade or Gatorade or something after working in the yard, actually, they're working in the yard now. So when I bring them (laughs) Gatorade, it refreshes them. That's right. We want to, though, I want this to be said of me. And what a compliment for Philemon to hear this. You refresh the hearts of the Lord's people, of God's people, of the saints. When I interact with someone like this personally, someone who encourages and refreshes the hearts of the Lord's people, I walk away thinking, man, they get it. They're looking out not only for their own interests, but the interests of others. They're actually, they're, they, they care about me. They love me. They, they understand that we were never meant to be lone wolves in desert islands living in isolation. So what is Paul asking Philemon to do here? He's asking him to continue to walk out what he believes. You know, Paul sent Onesimus back to Philemon. And he asks Philemon to accept him back without penalty and even hints that Philemon should set Onesimus free. So culturally, this is crazy. The political, the cultural issue of slavery was the very infrastructure of society in Paul's day. It stood as a barrier to the gospel, but the gospel cuts through any and every barrier. I'm talking political barrier, cultural barrier, personal barrier. And notice how Paul didn't call for the the emancipation of every slave in Roman society. He didn't call for that. Instead, he addressed it from the inside out. He's not saying slavery is okay. He's addressing it from the inside. He speaks into the community of faith and calls them to live in a countercultural way within society, but in a way that is countercultural, a way that reflects allegiance not to the emperor, but to King Jesus. In a way that would eventually unravel this corrupt, evil system of slavery. Do you remember what he said of Onesimus? Look in Colossians chapter 4 verse 9. In Colossians 4 verse 9, it says he is coming with Onesimus. So Tychicus is there with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. So if this is all we had on Onesimus, what would we walk away thinking about him? We wouldn't know that he was a runaway slave. We wouldn't think that he had stolen anything from Philemon. Uh, no, because Onesimus' life has, had been transformed by the gospel. And, and Paul doesn't send him back and describe him in terms of what he used to be. He describes him for who he is. He's a faithful and dear brother. That's who Onesimus is. This is who he is now. Oh, he used to be. He used to be something else, but not anymore. Now he's a faithful and dear brother. Back in Philemon, verse 12, Paul loves Onesimus so much. What does he say about him? I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. My very heart. That's how he describes Onesimus. So where where in your life does reconciliation need to happen? We need to be asking that question Uh, as we hear this story in the letter to Philemon. The reason I I chose this letter for this season was because I'm aware that we're interacting with family members and friends, and we're in the holidays, and we're interacting with people that maybe have said things in the past that really hurt us. How do we interact with family members and friends? And Do we just avoid them? Do we refuse to go under the same roof as them? We've all been hurt, and we've all hurt others. How does the gospel impact our relationships and how we're relating to people who have hurt us? Are there any barriers standing in your way of making things right? I want want you to show me a barrier that's too great for Jesus to conquer. There just isn't one. Think of the barrier that Onesimus and Philemon had to overcome. That cultural, that political, that personal barrier. Some offenses, not all. Uh, begin very small right and then they're blown up way out of proportion you don't even know how it started maybe you're in an argument with your sister or with a cousin or with a friend someone you love dearly you don't even know how it began but now you never talk to him because well you know remember that time you can't even remember the details anymore and, and it's not even important to rehearse the details when going to that person. Do we believe that God is still changing people, including us? I mean, that's how we, we became who we are. God radically changed us. Well, we were enemies. We were sinners, made sons and daughters. We were cleansed by the goodness and grace of Jesus' shed blood for us. Can we believe that he still has the power to transform relationships now within our lives? If he can transform Our relationship with him, if God can reconcile us to himself, can he not reconcile us to our brother, to our friend, to the one who now we treat as an enemy? He can. Now, Philemon had rights. He had rights to prosecute Onesimus. He did. Now, he was being asked to lay down those rights and to display an allegiance to Jesus. It would have been easy for Philemon to justify his actions, to distract himself uh, from the heart of Paul's appeal. Ah, oh, come on. Really, here he, here he is. He's back. This guy. How can I trust him? Look at verses 15 through 16 with me, which really is the heart of the letter. He writes, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. He goes on to say, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. We'll pause there. So here's Paul's little new take. He's got a new take on what what went down. Perhaps this is why he left you. Now Philemon could have been like, no, I know why he left me. He stole from me. But he's saying, perhaps all this happened so that you could receive him back, not as a slave, but as a brother. You see, he's drawing Philemon's attention to the larger purposes of God. I just skipped a whole page in my notes. I was preaching page three. Now what do I do? I don't know. I've never done this before. Can we back up? It's all good. How in the world? Sticky fingers. I don't know. Oh, goodness. So we have the impact of the gospel on Philemon's life. Second, we have the appeal of the gospel for Onesimus' life. Stay with me here. Okay, did Onesimus help himself to some of Philemon's money? I don't know. We know that he, did, did he run then to the city of Ephesus? Did he hide out? Did he try to blend in and get lost in the big city of Rome? Somehow, some way, he met Paul. He met Paul and he would have heard of Paul through the preaching of the gospel because he was in Onesimus' or Philemon's household. But when he was in Rome, did he hear Paul preach? Did he seek him out in prison? Did he happen to run into him? Onesimus, here's what we know, became a follower of Jesus. And here Paul gets right to the point of his letter. He makes an appeal. It's gracious, but it's a firm appeal for Onesimus on the basis of love. And this isn't that sentimental, sappy stuff. Uh, it's It's Devoted, wholehearted, costly love that Paul is calling Philemon to walk in on the basis of love. This isn't manipulation. This isn't bullying on Paul's part. We all know leaders who have done that. Onesimus most likely looked after Paul in prison. So he was very useful to Paul. But he most likely cared for him and came alongside him after encountering the truths of Jesus. Paul says that Onesimus became a son to him, a son in the faith. He heard the gospel, embraced Jesus as Savior, came under his rule. He was a dear friend, a fellow brother, a partner in the gospel, a son in the faith. So here, this letter to Philemon is Paul's letter of recommendation for Onesimus. He's not sending Onesimus alone, like, hey, go, good luck with Philemon. He's saying, no, no, you bring this letter with you. This is my letter of recommendation for you before Onesimus. Now, Onesimus, it ironically means useful. The name means useful. It wasn't useful to Philemon, but but Paul is saying to him, uh, Onesimus is a new man now. He is useful to me and to you. And after becoming a Christian, Onesimus, he had some business to take care of, right? He had been made right before a holy God, but now he needed to make things right between he and Philemon. Now, this is very important. I was wondering why I was where I was in my notes and not getting to this first. This is very important. Onesimus understood that he had been reconciled to the living God. That previous to that, he stood as an enemy. Right? He stood as a sinner before God. But because of the shed blood of Jesus, he had been made right before a holy God. And now in light of that truth, he thought this is, I, I, I have to make things right now. I have to make things right with with philemon i can't not make things right it would be it would be inconsistent with his faith now be contrary to his faith but put yourself in onesimus's position you enter the community you ran away from and stole from you're face to face with the one you betrayed easier said than done right takes humility now culturally this was one of the most serious offenses of ancient law It could lead to severe punishment, even death. This is a capital offense as a slave to run away. Questions like, what will the community say? What would Philemon choose to do? How would he respond? Will I become a slave again? Will I be turned over to the authorities? Onesimus is doing something very, very sacrificial. He's placing himself at the mercy of the one that he had wronged. But he was doing so in full view and in the strength of the one who had transformed his life forever. It's a heart-pounding encounter. You ever go to someone and ask them to forgive you? You know you've wronged them. It's not easy. I mean, it's just not easy. Even in our own families, you know, where things are right right now, but just husband to wife. Man, you just, all that pride, and you just got all the reasons why you're right, you know you're right, but really you know you need to own up to things and ask for forgiveness. And it's so hard. Do we really believe and live like the gospel is this personal and invasive? Enough to risk our happiness, our comfort, our reputation, our freedom. It's a costly life. To be forgiven our sin, to be forgiven the wrongs we've done, and then to be content or indifferent or to remain embittered towards those who have wronged us is completely contrary to the way of Jesus. So people begin to look into our lives and say, Oh, you follow Jesus? But I saw that post on Facebook. You ranting about that person. Oh, you follow Jesus? But then you talk all that kind of smack about that friend of yours who hurt you and wronged you. Oh, you embrace Jesus? But they look in your life and they just kind of shrug their shoulders and walk away. What is the defining mark of a Christian? Love. Love. We've been forgiven. We've been loved. And we're to walk in love. And that takes courage and humility. It's an act of obedience and faith. But we're not doing this alone. We're given the grace and the power to do it. So you put yourself in Onesimus' position. Put yourself in Philemon's position. He's thinking, can I trust this guy? Is he going to do me wrong again? Is he going to steal from me again? Is he playing with me? Is he putting on a a front just to get out of this mess? What's the community going to think? How will the church respond? How will my family respond? What exactly is Paul asking me to do? Paul was asking Something very big of Philemon. He sent Onesimus back to Philemon and asks Philemon to accept him back without penalty and even hints that Philemon should actually set Onesimus free. As I said 15 minutes ago, culturally, that was crazy. Finally, the power of the gospel in your own life. When Onesimus stands before you, Paul writes, I want you to see me. It's essentially what he's saying. Treat him as you would treat me. He is my very heart. If he owes you anything, put it to my account. I'm going to take it. Wipe that debt clean. What is Paul doing? He's acting as mediator. That's what he's doing. For Onesimus, before Philemon. So when we come to God in repentance and faith, he welcomes us, you and I, as if we were Jesus. You get that? So Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. So when I stand before a holy God, I am my debt has been wiped clean through Christ, his substitutionary death on my behalf. He received the wrath, the punishment that I deserve. It's like he's saying, no, Darren, no. I'm taking it upon myself for you. So now, when I stand before a holy God, I am not accepted before him because I'm a pastor. I'm not accepted before him because I do A, B, and C. I'm accepted before him because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. His death, his resurrection on my behalf. And so now, the Father sees Christ in me. I've been made new. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. I'm a new creation now. The old is gone, the new has come. I've been given now this ministry of reconciliation. Having been reconciled, now I'm proclaiming this message of reconciliation that you too can be reconciled to the living God. But that's what we're all called to do. And that's what Paul is doing now for Onesimus. Welcome him as you would welcome me. If he owes you anything, charge it to my account. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Therefore if anyone is in Christ the, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry Of reconciliation here's what we proclaim that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us we implore you we beg you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin oh, we're in the deep end of the pool here. These are serious mysteries. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, so that in him we might become, we might become the righteousness of God. We need to rehearse these truths because you have been terribly wronged by someone or you have wronged someone else. And when we go to make things right with others, we have to have these truths just just running through our heads and hearts. I've been made right with the living God. My sin has been completely wiped away. How can I hold on to this unforgiveness as if it's my right? Because that unforgiveness now becomes a prison cell. One in which I become a slave to. But even if that other person doesn't express forgiveness towards me, I can express forgiveness. And my express forgiveness towards them doesn't say that what they did was right. It doesn't say that. It's saying, I'm not going to be your judge. I'm entrusting you to the one who judges justly. Just like Jesus did. He entrusted his life to the Father who judges justly. So here's the deal. Someone's hurt us, someone's wronged us, even the most offensive painful hurt that we can imagine we can say all right i'm not going to be your bud but i'm not going to walk in this unforgiveness for the rest of my life i'm not going to let it enslave me i'm entrusting you to the one who judges justly and i'm not saying what you did was right I'm talking about serious hurt and pain now what about those relationships We we really should be buds but something's gotten in the way and it's a barrier that's so big and we're just like, how do we get through this? Oftentimes when we humble ourselves before God, seriously, listen, when we humble ourselves before God, what seems like a mountain becomes just this little anthill. S- seriously. God will help us to see that this mountain is just a figment of our imagination. It's not too big for God. It's like, where'd it go? Wiped away. Because when you, when you remember The sin and shame that's been forgiven you, all of a sudden, whatever offense is against you, whatever whatever has been done, it's like, okay, all right. I can face this. I, I can forgive this. I can walk in reconciliation. When we extend forgiveness to others, when we repent and make things right, what are we doing? We're retelling the gospel. And it's been told a million times over, it's God's power on display. So, all right, did Philemon rip up this letter? Did he go stomp off and be like, no way, I'm not doing this. No, no, the letter went public. We have it. (laughs) He didn't rip it up. Onesimus was standing right there. Did Paul's appeal work? I believe that it did. I'm sure there were a lot of pounding hearts that day. But I'm also sure there were many tears of repentance and joy, and oh, how they must have worshipped. Oh, how when this letter was read and Philemon looked up at Onesimus, and and the tears just filled both of their eyes as Philemon realizes Onesimus is a brother in Christ, and and maybe no words needed to be said, maybe they just embraced, and and then the church just erupts and cheers, and and the gospel is just put on full display, And, and then Onesimus, he He's not welcomed into the community as a slave anymore, but as a brother. They must have worshipped. Their faith in Jesus, it cut through that ancient evil barrier of slavery. And their faith in Jesus, it cut through that ancient and evil barrier of unforgiveness. So the book of Philemon is like a little window. When we look into this window, we see the power of Jesus at work in real lives. And our lives are little windows. When people look in, what do they see? What do they see? Do they see God's love active and able to change? Do they see God reconciling relationships? The reconciliation that Jesus accomplished, it brings with it the grace and power to be reconciled with others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book, the letter of Philemon. This real life demonstration of the gospel at work on the ground. The humility and courage displayed by Onesimus, the humility and courage displayed by Philemon, the humility and courage displayed by Paul to make this appeal. Thank you for their example. And now it's our turn. And thank you for your presence that makes it possible for us to walk in that same humility and courage towards others. Would you help us to make things right with those that we've wronged? And would you help us to express forgiveness towards those who have wronged us? And would you help us to be like Paul, one who would make an appeal, one who would help be a mediator, one who would help make things right. Lord, help us to live consistent lives with the gospel. Lord, would you show us, this isn't easy, because each one of us have people in our lives who have really hurt us. Would you show us offenses that we're carrying that we need to lay down? Would you help us to do that? This is bigger than us, Lord. We need your grace, but we're thankful that you're willing to give it and that you're still at work in our lives. Amen.